We're looking together at the book of Jeremiah. And if you've been here in recent weeks, you'll have noticed we're not looking at every passage in Jeremiah. And if you're wondering why we're moving over some sections, the answer is that these early chapters of the book are largely a record of what Jeremiah preached. And in the early years of his ministry, he mostly preached the same message over and over again, week after week, year after year. The message was, repent, turn back to God or judgment will come. That's the message the people of Judah desperately needed to hear and respond to. And Jeremiah was commissioned to preach it faithfully and to preach it insistently until the people of Judah either responded to it or until their time ran out. So Jeremiah has one tune to play. He has one message to preach. And the repetition of that message in the book highlights God's amazing patience. By presenting the message again and again in the book, we're being shown how many, many opportunities Judah was given. But since we've already looked at Jeremiah's main message in detail, we're now moving over the passages that repeat the main message And we're focusing on sections which take a new turn or that add some new element to what we've already heard. And today we come to a passage that certainly takes a new turn. If you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 11, you'll find that in the church Bibles on page 771 or in the larger print Bibles 1194. Jeremiah chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 18 through to chapter 12, verse 17. And as we read this, you'll notice that it starts very abruptly. That would be the case even if we'd read from the very beginning of chapter 11. Chapter 11 opens with the warnings about judgment that we've seen plenty of times already. But verse 18 jolts us in a new direction. Jeremiah breaks in to turn the focus onto his own personal situation. Verse 18. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at that time he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the people of Anathoth who are threatening to kill you, saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hands. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish them. Their young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters by famine. Not even a remnant will be left to them because I will bring disaster on the people of Anathoth in the year of their punishment. 
You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked, the animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Go and gather all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. It will be made a wasteland, parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares. Over all the barren heights in the desert, destroyers will swarm. For the sword of the Lord will devour from one end of the land to the other. No one will be safe. They will sow wheat but reap thorns. They will wear themselves out but gain nothing. They will bear the shame of their harvest because of the Lord's fierce anger. This is what the Lord says. As for all my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave to my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands and I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, then they will be established among my people. But if any nation does not listen, I will completely uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. This is God's word. One of the notable things about the prophet Jeremiah is his willingness to speak to God in blunt, unrestrained ways. 
There are quite a few points in the book where this happens. We get a record of Jeremiah bearing his soul and sharing a piece of his mind in God's presence. Commentators have suggested various names for those outbursts. Maybe the best is to call them Jeremiah's complaints. Because that's what he does. Back in chapter 1, we saw how God called Jeremiah when he was very young, probably still a teenager. God said, you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. And God did not sugarcoat the kind of work this was going to be. He told Jeremiah, the whole land will fight against you. But God did add the promise that he would be with Jeremiah and would rescue him. All the same, as he delivers his tough message year after year, there are times when it all feels overwhelming. And Jeremiah lets fly to God with one of his complaints. One commentator says the complaints are about personal pain, grief, and rage. And this passage is the first of those complaints. It gives us insight into times when pain gets personal. There's no doubt Jeremiah has been feeling pain about the situation Judah is in. He has been feeling for his people. But now it's become much more personal because he's found out his people are plotting to kill him. In the first part of this passage, God's messenger feels the pain of betrayal and he questions God's justice. In chapter 11, verse 18, we find Jeremiah in a very confused state. He's confused and he's also bitterly upset. He says, because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at that time, he showed me what they were doing. It's only later we find out who they are and what their plot is. Down in verse 21, we learn they are the people of Anathoth. That happens to be Jeremiah's hometown. We learned that in the very first verse of the book. It's just three miles away from Jerusalem, and a lot of the priests who serve at the temple in Jerusalem live at Anathoth. It is a priestly town. And so we might imagine they would be on Jeremiah's side. But in fact, in his preaching, Jeremiah has identified the priests as one of the main problems in Judah. He has accused the priests of ruling by their own authority and of practicing deceit. They're working against true repentance, Jeremiah has said, by encouraging the people to trust in sacrifices and rituals. Instead of challenging the people about true heart commitment to God. Jeremiah has condemned the priests publicly and they're not happy about it. And the people of Anathoth are particularly angry because Jeremiah is one of their own. They feel he's bringing shame on them. And they decide they need to shut him up permanently. They have been plotting this and Jeremiah was oblivious to what was going on. 
He didn't figure it out for himself. He says in verse 18, the Lord revealed it to me. And the shock of that produces a bitter reaction from Jeremiah in verse 19. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, let us destroy destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. The prophet Isaiah also uses the phrase, led like a lamb to the slaughter. But in Isaiah's case, he was speaking about the fact that God's servant didn't resist his killers. He went meekly. But here, Jeremiah is making a different comparison. He says, I was like an unsuspecting lamb, oblivious to what was ahead of me. I trusted these people just like a lamb trusts its owner, not knowing they were getting ready to slaughter me. And the Lord has also revealed what they're saying about Jeremiah. Let us destroy the tree and its fruit may mean let's kill him before he has any kids to carry on his name. It could mean that, but I think it's more likely that people are saying, let's destroy the man so we get rid of the message he's preaching. That is the fruit they want to destroy. If we kill him, his influence will be finished. Jeremiah has just had this revealed to him. He's shocked. He's hurt, he's angry, and he calls on God to smash these enemies. In verse 20, but you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Let me see your vengeance seems to mean do it now. Sort this out immediately, Lord. And in reply, the Lord says, I will sort this out. I will sort it out in your favor by punishing them. In the middle of verse 22, I will punish them. Their young men will die by the sword, their daughters, sons and daughters by famine. Not even a remnant will be left to them because I will bring disaster on the people of Anathoth in the year of their punishment. God says, I will punish them, but not right away. It will be in the year of their punishment. In other words, I will bring justice and I will bring it in my time. But that's not good enough for Jeremiah. Look at his response in chapter 12, verse 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked, the animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. 
Verse 1 of chapter 12 starts with what Jeremiah knows he is supposed to say. You are always righteous, Lord. But he immediately adds, I have to say, though, Lord, I'm not sure how your justice and righteousness fit with what I'm actually seeing. You've had me preaching about your justice and righteousness, but what's actually happening is the wicked are prospering. They're doing great. All the faithless live at ease. And I know, Lord, that you are giving them their prosperity and their ease. It hasn't come about by accident. It hasn't even come about because of the cleverness and hard work of these people. No, they're flourishing, Lord, because you planted them and nourished them like healthy trees. You are blessing them with this prosperity. Even though they're hypocrites, you're always on their lips but far from their hearts. So, Lord, I would speak with you about your justice. Because while the faithless are fat and happy, I'm suffering. Even though I am the genuine article. Verse 3, you know me, you see and test my thoughts about you, and so you know, Lord, my life is not a sham. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm with you. I have a circumcised heart. I'm committed. So, Lord, don't fob me off with stuff about future judgment. Bring it now. They're plotting to slaughter me, so why don't you step in and drag them off like sheep to be slaughtered? Jeremiah is hot under the collar. And he's not finished. While we're at it, he says in verse 4, you've had me preach about destruction coming on the land. You've had me paint the picture of your judgment making creation come undone. But why does the land have to suffer because of these wicked people? Why should the animals and birds suffer for the people's sin? Put them and me out of our misery by sorting this now. Fix it right away. What should we make of all this from Jeremiah? Well, one thing to notice is how it started. By this point, Jeremiah has been preaching for years, faithfully announcing God's message and even feeling distress about the disaster that's hanging over Judah. The judgment that will come if they don't repent. But suddenly, Jeremiah has suffered a very personal blow. Judah's wickedness is not just a general thing anymore. Now it's directly affecting Jeremiah himself in a terrifying way. His own neighbors want to kill him. And so suddenly, God's justice and righteousness become a personal issue for Jeremiah. He begins to question whether God's really being fair to him. And that leads him to start questioning God's overall justice. Has God got the big picture right? Is he managing the world well? 
So long as Jeremiah himself was okay, he was happy to let God do things God's way. But when God's way doesn't seem to be working out well in Jeremiah's personal circumstances, then it's time for a stern word in God's ear. And I think this is where we can all find ourselves faltering sometimes. I think most of us are happy to declare that God knows best, that his wisdom is perfect. We're happy to sing that he is a God of faithfulness and without injustice. We're happy to affirm that until something happens that causes us deep personal pain. Circumstances come into my life and suddenly I can't see how God is showing his faithfulness to me. I can't see that what's going on is wise or just for me or for someone who's close to me. And so we begin to say, or at least we begin to think, things like, if God was really fair, he would do this. Or if God really cared about me, he wouldn't have let this happen. Or after all I've done in the church, how could God let me go through this? And when you and I find ourselves in that frame of mind, well, it's not a big jump from feeling we're experts on how God should handle our situation to feeling we're experts on how we should handle the world in general. We begin to think we know how we should sort out the big picture. We feel personal pain. We see those who hurt us going unpunished, prospering, and we wonder if God really knows what he's doing and if he really does care. I think we can all be prone to falter just the way Jeremiah faltered. And so we need to hear God's response to Jeremiah. In the rest of our passage, the God of justice reveals the depths of his pain and the long reach of his love. Jeremiah has been pretty bold in what he said to God. He's poured it all out, his anger and his indignation. And God's response shows he's well able to deal with our honesty. He doesn't squash Jeremiah. There are no lightning bolts. Now, as we'll see, that doesn't mean God is agreeing with Jeremiah or that Jeremiah has said things that are accurate. God is going to correct him. But apparently, God is perfectly willing to listen while Jeremiah empties his tank and gets it all off his chest. After all, God knows what we're thinking anyway. All the better if Jeremiah comes out and admits what he's thinking rather than trying to hide it from God. But when Jeremiah is done, notice God doesn't answer him right away. Nor does he pat him on the back or tell him to cheer up. Instead, God asks him a question in verse 5. 
If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What does that mean? What does Jeremiah's running ability have to do with anything? Well, it's a comparison. God is saying what you have had to deal with so far is like a race against other men, a race with equals. And if that has been too much for you, how are you going to cope with what's coming next? Because it is about to get much harder, like a race against horses. And similarly, in the second half of the verse, what you've had to deal with so far is like a race across easy terrain, flat ground. And if that has caused you to stumble, how are you going to cope with what's next? Because that's going to be like a race through thickets, bushes and briars with wild animals hiding in them. Far from telling Jeremiah to cheer up, God says, it's going to get worse for you. And the worse comes right away in verse 6. So far, Jeremiah knows that his own townspeople have been plotting against him. And he has been floored by that. But now the news gets worse. God tells him in verse 6, your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. Not only are your family plotting against you, they're doing it while speaking well to your face. The pain and betrayal just got worse. But God goes on to say, tell me this, Jeremiah. This is what God is implying. As you feel the new depth of pain, are you still feeling so gung-ho about calling down my justice? Now that your own family are among the wicked, are you still so insistent on seeing the wicked dragged off like sheep to be butchered? It's easy, isn't it, Jeremiah, to demand justice on the wicked? until the wicked are people you love. And now God says, maybe you're ready to grasp the depth of pain and betrayal I have suffered from my people. You've tasted just a little bit of that pain yourself, Jeremiah, and maybe you're also ready to see why I haven't slaughtered the wicked as quickly as you would have liked. Maybe you can see my commitment to bringing justice costs me further depths of pain. As I bring that justice on wicked people that I love. Look at the words God uses as he shows his commitment to bring justice. Verse 7. I will forsake my house. Abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love 
into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Go and gather all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. Yes, Jeremiah, I will bring justice. The wicked will be devoured. Yes, Jeremiah, I hate sin and the people who do it. But can't you see? These wicked people that I must hate and punish because of their wickedness, they are people I love. They are my inheritance. They're precious to me. Yes, Jeremiah, I am committed to bringing justice. And you can hardly begin to understand the pain of bringing justice. We can all be quick to lash out at God when our circumstances hurt us. We can be quick to decide what God should be doing, put things right. And God is patient with us. He listens to our rants, our complaints. He seems to welcome the fact that we bring them to him. But let's realize God knows more about pain and betrayal than any of us ever will. His betrayers are the image bearers he personally formed and personally breathed life into. And yes, God is committed to justice. He will put things right. The wicked will be devoured by his wrath, including the particular wicked people we get so angry at because they hurt us personally. But let's realize it costs God more than we can grasp to put things right, to bring his just wrath on his own creation. If God seems to be slow in putting things right, it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he does. A careless God would have ended the whole project long, long ago. In verses 11 to 13, God repeats his commitment to bring justice to the wicked people of Judah. But in verses 14 to 17, he speaks about the other side of that justice. This is what the Lord says. As for all my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave to my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands and I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion. And will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying as surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, then they will be established among my people. 
But if any nation does not listen, I will completely uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. God said earlier in this book that if judgment falls on Judah, it will not be the final judgment. There will be a future for God's people beyond invasion and exile. And here God speaks about the long reach of his love. Not only will he make something of the scattered people of Judah, he will welcome those from all nations who join the people of Judah in listening to him and obeying him. Even people from those nations who taught Judah to swear by Baal. They can join the Lord's people. And God is talking here about the dim, distant future. Certainly way beyond Jeremiah's lifetime. But in the New Testament, we find this promise being fulfilled. As God comes in the person of his son, Jesus, first to the Jews, and the first disciples were all Jews. And then, as those disciples preach about God's love made available through Jesus, they were joined by men and women from all nations, brought near to God by the blood of Christ. And that is what it cost for God to forgive and bring sinners near to him. It cost the death of God's own son, dying in the place of sinners. Jeremiah wanted his betrayers to be slaughtered. But God the Son submitted himself to be slaughtered so that his betrayers could be forgiven. On the cross, God the Father brought justice. Sin was punished, but God himself bore the pain of it. And when we are in pain, and we find ourselves questioning God's justice because he doesn't rush in and crush the baddies in our lives, when you and I feel like that, let's remember what it costs God to bring justice. It either costs him the pain of bringing judgment on his own image bearers, people he loves, even as he must hate them for their sin, or if men and women repent of their sin and come to him for mercy, then we know that mercy has already cost God even greater pain. As the son submitted to death, and the father crushed his beloved son so we could be forgiven. There are going to be many times when you and I do not understand what God is doing in our circumstances. Why doesn't he intervene when we're crying out for him to do something? Often we will not understand but let's not doubt that God is involved and he will do what's right. More than that, he's willing to suffer pain in order to do what is right. And in his love, he has suffered the greatest pain to offer sinful human beings forgiveness and new life. If you're a Christian, 
Your standing in Christ is worth more than anything else. It's the greatest proof you could have that God loves you and that he works for your good. If he gave his own son for you, he will do everything else that needs to be done for you. Let's close our time together by joining in praise of our God and what he has given us in Christ. Christ is mine forevermore.